This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, I'm Jason, and I support Gen X Grown Up on Patreon. You should do the same, because the world just needs more GXG to make it a better place. Just go to genxgrownup.com slash Patreon to donate to the cause. Gen X Grown Up is a YouTube channel website and audio podcast you're listening to right now. All made for and by people who love exploring media, games, tech, and toys of yesterday and today through the eyes of Gen Xers who refuse to grow up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown-up. Welcome back, Gen X Grown Up podcast listener to this backtrack edition of the Gen X Grown Up podcast. I'm John. Joining me as always is George. Hey, how's it going, guys? And Mo is here with us as always. Hey, everybody. In this episode, you know, if you are a fan of horror, action, or science fiction films from the 70s or 80s, then you're a fan of John Carpenter, whether you know it or not. <laughs> yeah, for sure. This American director, producer, actor, screenwriter, and composer celebrates his 73rd birthday this past week. So in this episode, we're going to celebrate some of our favorite John Carpenter films and discuss just what makes them so memorable. I mean, we could talk about, we could go for days on this topic. We were saying, right, we could pick one <laughs> film and talk for a whole show, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. So we're gonna limit ourselves to like four, right? We are. Yeah, we, we we picked some. We could do we could do four or five more of these episodes no, in the future. We other birthdays. There's so easily. many great Carpenter films. <laughs> oh, we man. could do this episode, then take an episode and do each one of these films more in no depth, kidding. even. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, they're just so much a part of the Gen X experience for sure. Before we get into gushing over how much we love John Carpenter films, though, real quickly, it's time for some fourth listener email. And the email this time is from Mike C., our longtime listener and Patreon supporter. Mike writes in with a subject line, Gift Guide for Geeks Podcast, Uh which you'll remember he suggested (laughs) we do, right? Mm -hmm. Did somebody get the TV? That's why I wanted to know. Oh, I don't know. Did you get the TV, George? I did not get the TV. (laughs) Mike writes in and says, good morning. I hope you and your family enjoyed a great Christmas holiday. I wanted to share with you that Mrs. C. heard the opening of the Gift Guide for Geeks Podcast while I was getting the Christmas order out of the garage this holiday. When she heard you mention that I wrote in asking about <laughs> advice on gifts, oops, her jaw just about hit the floor. <laughs> she, she looked at me straight in the eye and said, you got credit for that? I should get the credit for the topic since I've been asking you what you want for Christmas for the last month. <laughs> I laughed a bit nervously and told her I would send her the link to the podcast so she could hear the list of ideas. While she did not choose a gift idea for the list, she did get me some cool tech, including a multi-card reader and a metal detector. Oh, okay. Well, good, you got some yeah. cool stuff. Metal detector. Wow. That I never thought I wanted one until I heard him say that. And then, I know. You know no, I, like, I was like, what the hell's I think buried about in my the, the guys yard? on Oak Island, the guys that are looking yeah. for treasure, they find <laughs> the coins and get excited. Oh, yeah. Mike says, thanks for the gift ideas and the podcast. By the way, I am still going to take credit for the topic idea since I actually wrote in about it. Fair. He should. Wow. Yes. You've earned it. Just don't tell Mrs. C and I think you'll be fine. I think we just did. Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) If she listens. Sorry, Mrs. C. Mike stole it. He wraps it up by saying fourth listener and Patreon of Gen X grown up. Nice. Mike C. Cool. Thank you, Mike. (laughs) That's great. We love it every time the fourth listener writes in. If you would like your email featured here on the show, just hit us up at podcast at genxgrownup.com or swing by our Discord channel. Drop a line in the fourth listener thread there. Okay, we have put it off long enough. It is time to jump into these awesome films of John Carpenter, and we're going to do that right after this break. Stick around. 1988. The crime rate in the United States rises 400%. 1991. The United States police force is formed. 1997. New York City is a walled maximum security prison. John Carpenter's Escape from New York. The ultimate adventure of escape and survival. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. 
You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. Let's jump into the films we've selected to talk about for uh, John Carpenter celebrating his birthday just recently. But the reason it's important, as we noted at the beginning, is that so many, so many of his films in the 70s and 80s, not all of them were box office smashes, but they became absolute cornerstones of the Gen X experience and cult favorites that we go back to again and again. So I am tickled shitless that the first one we picked is one of my absolute <laughs> favorite films from that era. The introduction of Snake Plissken, Escape from New York in 1981. Yes. What a crazy movie that was. <laughs> oh, I love, love, love. I love this film as much as I hate Escape from L.A., the su- sequel. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of John Carpenter fans probably feel similarly. Yeah, they should. Before we get too deep in it, I'll read you the brief description on the off chance that you have not seen Escape from New York. York. In 1997, when the U.S. president crashes into Manhattan, now a giant maximum security prison, of a convicted bank robber is sent in to rescue him. Mm. And that, of course, is Snake Plissken. I grew up in New York, and I was really offended that they turned Manhattan into a prison. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, it's an easy really? landmass to just cut off. You cut off the bridges. You know, they could have done the entire state of Rhode Island. It would have been fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not quite as landlocked, though, Mo. It, it, Nor quite it, as good for the visuals, it, I was Sure, right. True. Yeah. Oh, it was such a great movie. So first of all, Kurt Russell, who is a continuous collaborator mm. with John Carpenter yeah. and to great effect. Donald Pleasance as the president, Ernest Borgnine, Isaac Hayes. Isaac Hayes. Number one, the Duke of New York. Right. <laughs> <laughs> one thing I'll say that with Kurt Russell, when he does all these Carpenter films, he like hits that almost edge of overdoing it, right? He's right mm-hmm. at that bleeding edge. He doesn't quite cross it. You know, maybe a couple times he does, but it, I mean, yeah, it's perfect for these movies, though. You know, and I think a big part of why John Carpenter films feel like John Carpenter films is because he's not just a writer. No. He's not just a director. <laughs> he's he's a double, triple, quad, quintuple threat something. He often, for many of his films, he directs and writes and produces and composes the music and sometimes mm-hmm. he even edits. Yeah. And so his fingerprints are on every piece of it. That's why no other director from that era had such a super signature style. Now, George, we were talking before the show that there's a really interesting trivia nugget related to something that happened at the end of the film, right? Yeah. I mean, being a John Carpenter super fan, I try to familiarize myself with every aspect of these films because it's for me, it's not just enough to watch the films. I really want to know everything about how they were made and what his decision processes were when he was figuring stuff out for logistics and things like that. And this one, Escape from New York, has some interesting things. I know Mo said he was offended that New York <laughs> was used as the backdrop for this. However, New York was not actually the filming location for some of the more memorable scenes in this film. And at the end of it, there's the big chase across a bridge oh, yeah. for Snake Plissken and the president to oh, scale yeah, yeah. the wall and get out. Duke of New York is chasing him down and there's mines everywhere turns out that was an actual bridge not in new york but in st louis it's called the old chain of rocks bridge really and john (laughs) carpenter bought that bridge from st louis for the grand total of one (laughs) dollar okay so he owns a bridge he did he owned the bridge for that time while he was filming and then he returned it to him free of charge after they finished the film <laughs> that smells like insurance liability reasons right there yeah i'm sure it was right <laughs> he's he's like, it's not our bridge <laughs> right yeah, not our bridge people get blown up it's all on you john <laughs> <laughs> it's your bridge it's just one of those really cool little factoids about that film because you know i want to say this is the most iconic john carpenter film on our list but god damn it they're all yeah. iconic they all are right yeah. for different reasons actually right yeah, yeah. so i mean I don't know about you guys, but the one memory I kind of still latch on to growing up, you know, now being an adult is I wasn't a huge reader when I was younger. I didn't really become a big book reader until I was probably 1920 or so. And then I just wanted to read everything. But this is one of the few instances where 
I saw a film and then later on we're at the grocery store. I'm sure it was a Publix or Winn-Dixie or something like that. And they had a little book section at the grocery stores at that time. And this book, after I had rented it on VHS, was somehow in that bookstore I or what? in that grocery store. And I bought it and read it in two days. And the book is different from the film. There are quite a few things in the book that are not in the movie. The book of Escape from New York? Really? Yeah. Is it a novelization of the movie or was the movie based on this book? I honestly, you know, don't know as which? much as you would think I would know that. I honestly don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg. I didn't know that even existed. I didn't yeah. either. I'm going to check out this. So. <laughs> There's a whole scene about the chock full of nuts place where he goes to watch the, um, the little show and everything and the yes, president's uh-huh, down and thing. Right. There's a yep. whole scene about that whole environment there in the book that's not in the film. Now I have to seek this out. Okay, can I find this book online? I'll, have to I I'll make a note. Okay. Found it. Yeah, Mo's already Did found you already? It. Mo's already got it. <laughs> it's, it's, apparently, it was a novelization of the movie. Okay. Oh. So they probably took the original script and probably had stuff that they cut out that they, that they cut out. out. Oh, make that's sense. cool. Yeah. But I can tell you yep. right now that it's out of print, unfortunately. Oh. Uh, <laughs> but you can buy a used paperback of it for a hundred bucks. A hundred? <laughs> I've got this book somewhere. It's worth a hundred dollars? You still have it? That's what's on Amazon. Yeah. I keep all my books. I had no idea. That's cool. Well, damn, I just made a hundred dollars. This is a hell of a podcast. Let's keep going. Like you're going to sell that book. (laughs) No, I'm never going to sell it. (laughs) Oh man. And so this movie is like, like I love all Dark Carpenter movies too. Like I'm with you, George. I'm, I'm a big fan of his stuff. Mm. This one though, was like when I first saw it when I was a kid, right in New York, loved it. It's all we talked about. Right. Right. I mean, the fact that he flew a glider, landed on the world trade center, (laughs) which, you know, and the whole thing, like his head was going to explode if he didn't do it in time. No, I mean, loved it. Then it's funny. I saw it probably, ah, geez, I probably in my 20s. And I just didn't like it. I was oh, like, oh my God. Okay. I was like, this movie's like really stupid. I just didn't get it. And then like 10 years later, I saw it again. And I'm like, what was I thinking? This is brilliant. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> it is. Yeah. <laughs> like I was going through some weird trying to be mature thing, I think, somewhere in there that just made me not like it. But then I kind of grew out of that. And so I just liked it again later. <laughs> I think it's fair to say it's an agreed upon love fest for Escape from New York, despite yeah. the fact that Mo hated it when he was trying to be grown up in the middle middle of his yeah, life. Yeah, trying to be. It didn't last long, you know. <laughs> George had a great suggestion how we're going to wrap up each one of these films we discuss to talk about one of our favorite scenes, kind of like do a little round table and talk about And George, I want to ask you first, you have a favorite scene from Escape from New York, if you can pick one of the so many, the great oh, ones. Geez. I mean, you're right. There's uh, like every 30 seconds is a new great scene in these <laughs> films for me. I think one of my favorites, one of the ones that sticks in my memory the most, at least it's kind of an unusual one because it doesn't involve Snake Plissken at all. It doesn't involve the president. It doesn't involve the Duke of New York either. Hmm. Cabbie, none of the main characters that you think of. But there's a scene where Lee Van Cleef leads a SWAT team into New York just after the crash, right? The plane yes. crashes uh-huh. into the World oh, right. Trade yeah. Center, the which, by the way, the, yeah, the first horribly attempt, prophetic. Right? Yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. as the little wireframe graphic shows, there's an escape escape egg that yeah. pops out of the plane. <laughs> what horrible 80s digital graphics. And then the okay. egg itself looked like Mork's egg from Mork and Mindy. So they get there, the egg is sitting in the rubble, it's already opened and everything, and they can't find the president. And then this really weird, creepy guy walks around from a corner, and he's got this frizzy hairstyle oh, yeah. kind of in the guile format, yep. and he's got the makeup on and everything, and he walks up and he hands them a package and he's like you guys have 60 seconds to leave or he dies if you do this he dies if you do this he dies you know all this stuff yeah and the guy leaving cleef opens a package and it's the president's finger with the presidential ring ring on, on it. it they yep. just yeah. cut it off <laughs> leaving cleef he grabs his people they take off and the last thing is the crazy guy he just looks at him running away and he goes <laughs> like that just kind of, kind of weird evil like he's a feral animal yeah, yeah. Huh? yep i love that scene <laughs> oh there's so many great ones yeah. but to pick one for me i this is gonna sound like a cop-out but i love the character of snake plissken so much it's the introduction of snake plissken when he's getting his assignment and just how indifferent he is right at the beginning when they draft him and bring him in and they tell him the deal and then they screw him over they think he's getting an inoculation or something mm-hmm. and he put the, right. the bomb 
in him and the give him a stupid is, yeah. little LCD watch that looks like right. a giant Apple watch on his wrist. <laughs> but just the introduction of Snake Plissken, because I love Kurt Russell so much, and he just he was chewing on scenery as that character. And so any scene he's in, but the introduction of him probably for me is the favorite. Get yourself a new president. Oh my God, I love it. Oh my God, you're right. Mo, how about you? Favorite scene? Can you think of one? Uh, again, there's just so many. Okay, this is a scene that made me laugh for some reason. It probably shows like where my brain was at that time. But when they're crossing the bridge at the end, right? Mm-hmm. And the guy has the map with the the layout over the mines, mm-hmm. the brain. Right? Yeah, exactly the brain. Thank you. Yeah. Everyone else is going like one direction. He's saying, "No, no, no, go this way, go this way." And he winds up walking into a landmine. Right. <laughs> because <laughs> he misread the map. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> for some reason, I just like started laughing at that scene because I was like, "Wait a minute! First off, they're none of them are following this freaking map anyway. No, they're just running. Nobody they're just following running. him." At all, yeah, and he's the one with the map, with so he could lead him across this bridge, and he winds up dying. And I was like, "Really?" <laughs> it was just a weird scene to throw in there. Like, I guess they couldn't have them all live at the end. I guess so they right. had to find some way of killing them. They off. had to kill them off. Yeah, so yeah. I guess that was a convenient way to get rid of him. But for some reason, that scene just sticks in my head. Yeah, everything that could have gone wrong in this movie went wrong, and that was just one more thing at the tail yeah. end. Yeah, <laughs> twelve men have just discovered something. For 100,000 years, it was buried in the snow and ice. Now it has found a place to live, inside, where no one can see it, or hear it, or feel it. I know I'm human. Some of you are still human. This thing doesn't want to show itself. It wants to hide inside an imitation. It'll fight if it has to, but it's vulnerable out in the open. If it takes us over, then it has no more enemies. Nobody left to kill it. And then it's one. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, We explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Okay, so moving on to other Carpenter movies. This one is in my easy, my top three favorite horror movies Stress me out of all time. Mm, that's fair. Yep. The thing. The thing. Oh, it's boy. up there with Alien. It's kind of similar to Alien in a way, in the sense that, you know, there's a monster and these people are secluded, but I've never seen a movie that stressed up the stress, <laughs> part of the pun, more in me just trying to guess who was the alien, who was it. The movie's about a research team in Antarctica that's hunted by a shape shifting alien that can assume the appearance and mannerisms of anybody. What a simple premise. Yeah, it's that you so could have done anywhere. And has been done a million times before. Yeah, but no one's done it this claustrophobic Antarctic research station with just a, here are the people, that's all you have to work with. It's just a self-contained little bubble. Oh, but it ratcheted up the stress and the, oh man, right. I think this movie for me, he does such a good job of like, it doesn't go like zero to a hundred. It just slowly ramps. Like, but pretty It's a quick. slow burn. And it ratchets up. It never backs off. It's always right, clicking it never one more like It's always increasing, right? Throughout the whole movie. And like even from the scene where the dog is running across and the you know the other people are shooting at it. And then, you know, I'm thinking like, okay, that's weird. Okay, why is the guy chasing a dog? And even during the movie, I thought, wow, that's really far for a dog to run. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh my God, I just love this movie so much. I mean, George, I'm sure this is one of your favorites too, right? Oh yeah, no question. I mean, we should definitely talk about who was in this film because oh, yeah. that's a key component to almost every John Carpenter film. He does a great right. job. Well, first, Snake Plissken was in it. Yeah, Snake Plissken. No, no, Kurt Russell. Was in it, right? Oh, okay. Everybody's favorite crazy granddad, Wilford Brimley, and yep. Keith David, who is also a staple of the John Carpenter universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. It just boggles the mind, and I kind of want to do a little piece of trivia in each one of these movies, just because. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good. Like I said, yeah, 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 yeah. Lay it on me. In this one, this is the first of John Carpenter's films which he did not do the score himself. As a matter of fact, the only role that he took on in this film was that of director. Oh. Everything else was somebody else. Unusual. The film's original choice of a composer was Jerry Goldsmith, but he oh, yeah. passed. So they got Ennio Morricone, uh, who composed 
a very low-key Carpenter-like score with the brooding and bass chords mm-hmm. and everything else, just like Carpenter would do. Right. So that's why everybody thinks yeah, Carpenter I totally did, thought he yeah. did this one. I totally the composition for this, but he didn't. On all of these, you have that kind of like... Like there's this ongoing bass line that goes from scene to scene. It doesn't stop, almost like you're doing a music video. Mm-hmm. And so I, I initially thought the thing was also Carpenter because it has that feel. So he was mimicking the Carpenter style, his I guess. bass lines, John, you're a music guy, so you'll uh-huh. you'll understand this. To me, his bass lines, they're not typical bass lines when you think of them. Like you were just mimicking one. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Yep. His bass lines are very slow and methodical. Yeah. And yeah. They're sometimes just like a two note chord. It's really creepy. And I yeah. think to Mo's point about this being a slow burn, that's why this score works so well for this film because it really drives that point home on that level. Yeah, there was a lot of scenes that had no music, right? Which was weird because you think some of these movies, like they always have some background sound at all, but there were mm-hmm. a lot of scenes in this that had nothing, like just dead silence at parts. Absolutely. Which made it even creepier to You're me. You're in the frozen tundra of Antarctica. Right. So that feels even more, it's hard to say it, but it feels even more claustrophobic. You're in this yeah, great absolutely. wide open space, yeah. but the yeah, whole film agree. feels claustrophobic. And yeah. so much so that to this day, this movie is 40 years old at this point almost. My son was still freaked out by this film when he first watched it. And he yeah. was... Oh, it's 16 it oh, yeah. when he totally saw it. holds up. Yeah. Oh, for sure. This itself was a remake of the film from the 50s. And I think they did another remake in the 2000s. Yeah. Which was a remake. It's more, it more of a sequel they did. It was a prequel. Oh, okay. a prequel. A prequel. It was a prequel. Yes. yes. It was a prequel. But, I mean, neither of those hold a candle to I mean, this yeah. one right in the 80s was just the perfect, like, the effects were more practical, less digital, mm-hmm. but it was gritty. And plus, everything just comes together where you're in this area where you have to trust the people you're with and you don't know if the person you're talking to is even the person you're talking to and so there's this anxiety yeah it's like what's the stupid game that we play online the <laughs> the one where you're not sure oh, who the among yeah us? among us among where us. you're yeah, not sure right. who, the, right. who the bad guy is should you be alone with them or not it's like an early version of that but it would really cranked up the creep factor mm-hmm. talk about the stress i mean just the scene that probably just stressed me out so much when i first saw this is when they're all tied to the bench oh yeah the testing and mm. then one of them turns out to be the alien right yeah and that scene, I almost couldn't watch it because I put myself in this uh, being the guy next to the alien in the bench. Right. You don't know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, I just, that's just like hard. That's like pure torture to be in that position. Oh my yeah. God. It's just thinking about it makes me like <laughs> raise my stress levels. You talk about scenes. I think it's probably time that we get to our favorite scenes of this oh, film. Oh, yeah. Yep. I'm just curious. I want to know what John's favorite scene oh, is God. in this movie. <laughs> oh, well, so Mo, you touched on it. I think not so much the being strapped to the bench, but the whole testing of the blood yeah. scene. Where they, oh, they finally have figured out that sound in the petri dish when yes. you yes, the wire screams. Oh, <laughs> the oh. And the thing is that you you don't know who the alien is. Mm-mm. Well, and they they don't. That's the point. And the, what I loved about it, I think, I mean, of course, there's the stress and the drama and the yeah. ratcheting up. I love that they have found a scientific way to definitively know who is the thing. Right. And you know, they heat up the coil of wire and they put it. And it just, if it fizzles out, you're like, oh, you take a sigh, they ratchet up the angst. It reminded me in preparing for the show, there's an episode in the 11th season of South Park called Lice Capades, <laughs> where, where somebody in the class had lice, right. and they're all trying to figure out who it is so they can make fun of him. And Cartman has devised this. He said, well, lice leave a little bit of their saliva in your bloodstream, and if I touch it with a hot wire, it'll jump 10 foot out of the dish. And he does the same test, and Kyle even says, you didn't think of this. You stole this from that movie, The Thing. <laughs> well, if you steal, steal from the best. Oh, but even goodness. before South Park, I just loved the how science is taking over and they figured something out. It didn't really work really well for them in the long term, but I just loved that scene. What about you, Mo? Favorite scene? Oh, my God. One of my favorite scenes that just kind of, for me, just gave that feeling of just hopelessness in the movie was when they, everyone's favorite grandpa. Wilford Brimley. Yeah, yeah, when they know he's crazy after he breaks yeah. out the radios and they throw him in the room and mm-hmm. later they check on him. Right. He's sitting there and he's like super calm. Yo, guys, I, I'd like to come out now. I'm totally fine i'm totally look, fine and there's a silhouette of a noose hanging up yeah in his cell <laughs> exactly <laughs> and, but he's calm he's like i'm fine i'm fine you, know, you can let me out i understand why you did it i was a little out of control but there's like a freaking noose hanging in his cell mm. <laughs> and i was like watching that scene i was like wow i mean that's just like i totally felt yeah. how hopeless they felt it just adds another layer of, of yeah. desperation and hopelessness yeah well especially yep. when you see it later on you discover that he himself had already been compromised 
right. and was building the spaceship, you know that that noose was just a way for him to try and trick them into thinking that he was a right. human who was thinking about committing suicide. You're like, God damn, that's clever. Yeah, that's all awesome. those layers. Yeah. yeah. Maybe oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, oh, my God. George, what was yours? I think it's probably one of the most widely thought of scenes from that film. It's the chest crash scene. Oh, my God. The one guy oh my he, Lord, you know, my supposedly God. has a heart attack and the doctor is trying to revive him. Oh, man. And he's got the shock paddles and he's yes. like, clear boom, clear and then he like the third time just boom the whole chest opens up and it's a giant mouth of teeth it just bites his oh it just bites his oh yes. practical effects in that oh my goodness they were so great the head separates from the body yes, the becomes whole, a spider the spider head the scene doesn't stop there it's not no. like the chest burster from alien it's like first the arms get bitten off then his head drops on the floor and it sprouts legs and runs yeah. off like a spider and you're like holy shit was that the scene where like the stoner dude looks at it and he's like you gotta be kidding me yeah and that's what that's what I'm talking about. Like, because the best part of that scene is exactly that when the head is sitting over yeah. there oh. and it starts to crawl out, and the stoner guy's like, What? Everybody's just kind of like mesmerized by this thing trying to slowly <laughs> escape across the floor. And they're like, What the hell is that? Yeah. <laughs> it's just awesome. Oh my God. That's such a great scene. You're right, though. And also, that was just unexpected as like the first time the alien face hugger jumps out in the alien movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Like, that was like a shock. That's the same level of like, What the hell? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That was such a great scene. I've come up with a test that can determine if it was any of us who had the head lice. We're going to find out once and for all who had head cooties. Lice feed on a person's blood. And just like mosquitoes, they leave behind small traces of their saliva in the host's bloodstream. That saliva is malochromagnic. So if an infected person's blood is touched by this hot metal coil, say, that person's blood will jump 10 meters into the air. Really? That's retarded. You didn't come up with that experiment, Carmen. You saw it in that movie, The Thing. You've got questions. We've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips and suggestions you need to realize greater success get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers accelerate your business growth is part of the evergreen podcast network and is available on apple spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts we're jumping ahead a few years to 1986 now and it's time to hop on board the pork chop express Uh, again, and- <laughs> again with Snake Plissken. It's another Kurt Russell yep. film. Oh, yeah. We're talking about Big Trouble in Little China. On a dark and stormy night when you're worried about what's going on, you just listen to old Jack Burton. Burton? <laughs> this thing is like a comic book come to life on the screen. Oh, mm. yes. The concept is a rough and tumble trucker helps rescue his friend's fiance from an ancient sorcerer in a supernatural battle beneath Chinatown. Yeah. And that is exactly what happens but it does not do the film justice if no, that's all you close. know about it oh not even my close. lord oh. I, I mentioned kurt russell also of course kim cattrall yes. and james hong among yeah. many other oh my great God, this... talent in this oh good heavens big trouble yeah yeah and you know you gave that synopsis i've got another trivia thing okay, for you but there's it. also another it, part here oh, okay this was not the way that carpenter envisioned this story in his mind jack burton was the gullible sidekick and the Asian guy was supposed to be the hero. That's why uh. he's so bumbling halfway through the movie. He always gets yeah. knocked out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah. drops his gun all the time and everything. But it was the studio that said, no, Kurt Russell's a more bankable person. We need him to be the star. So that's why a whole bunch of stuff in this got reshot and rewritten and recut because they wanted to make him the hero. It worked. Yeah. Well, but you know, <laughs> he is the hero, but the fact that he is an incompetent hero makes the film that much more beloved. Mm-hmm. He's lovable, right? He, he succeeds despite himself. He's well-meaning, but he, you know, don't forget the safety, you know, look out there and he's, you know, rolls backwards in the wheelchair or whatever. He can't do it on his own really, but he's so braggadocious about it that yep. he acts like he can. And another piece of trivia, the guy who was supposed to originally play the one he was helping out to save his fiance, uh-huh. that was supposed to be Jackie Chan. Really? Oh, really? 
Yep, and Jackie Chan turned it down. Oh, missed opportunity. Yep. And I mean, there was all kinds of things, but the trivia part that I pulled up. There's more? <laughs> which is even crazier. I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah. Kurt Russell turned down the lead role of Connor McLeod in Highlander, Highlander to do this movie. Wow. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much, Kurt Russell. I so much appreciate your decisions here. <laughs> well, I'm glad because I can't see anybody else doing that role, but wow. It's just bonkers. This is one of my it favorite is. films of all time, if you can't tell. Yeah, love yeah I this love movie. this movie. I mean, oh I love the, the martial arts were amazing. Yes. And the people they got to play were like real China martial arts people. Like they, they mm-hmm. did like the whole Kung Fu. They're all like really well known in that area. Yeah. And several great stunt men and stunt yeah. coordinators play the different, you know, the tongs and the groups that were fighting against each other in the alleyway. Mm-hmm. They're like yep. the leaders of those groups. Yeah. Oh, so good. Something I really always enjoyed about this film is, is that you saw many of the, the key bad guys in multiple kind of roles. Like you saw them in their magical, mystical self. Mm -hmm. And then you saw them as these badass businessmen when they weren't doing (laughs) that. Right. And the fact that they had these many facets made them feel that much more menacing because they're not just voiceless, faceless bad guys. They're like a guy in a suit going, oh, come with me down the freight elevator. Let me help you out. Kind of. And then shit goes down, you know? (laughs) The elementals are some of my favorite parts of that film. Those three guys, they're awesome. And they're so hokey, but they're wonderful. But they're great. Oh, my God. And the reference to a Bruce Lee film where they pose as phone fixers, you know, phone installer guys to get on stage. Oh, (laughs) love that stuff. It's so good. Yeah. This is one of the early films that I remember. Maybe one of the first films that I remember renting on VHS. Like, I know the first Mm. one or two verbatim, but when that first month of owning or renting, maybe we had a VHS. I remember getting this movie because the cover just looks outrageous. Oh, yeah. it's awesome. It's Kurt Russell with the two machine guns. and <laughs> oh, What does the name mean? Big Trouble Little China? And it's, mm-hmm. it's like this splash of text and there's all these different ninjas and there's Jack Burton I saw in there. They're like all <laughs> popping out from behind yes, them Yes, they're stuff. all jumping off the thing and I'm like, this has got to be the most amazing thing ever. And it turned out it really was. <laughs> you know, my favorite memory about this film isn't from when the film first came out or when I rented it on VHS. Several years later, my son, he started to get to the age where you can introduce him to things that you liked and he'll comprehend them. Yeah. So I wanted to introduce him to John Carpenter stuff. And it just so happened that there's a place here in Tallahassee called the Cap City Video Lounge, which they screen old movies and TV shows Mm -hmm. and anime and stuff like that in this like 30 or 40 person seat theater and they had a John Carpenter night and Big Trouble in Little China was on the double bill Great. so I took my son to go see that so he got to see it in a theater environment <laughs> a good in the 2000s should. and to me that's still one of my favorite memories of stuff that I've done with my son because I got to share something with him in an environment similar to what I got to view it in 40 years prior yeah. that's one of the best parts of being a parent is is forcing all of your favorite things on them that's, that's <laughs> yes. good parenting right there <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's, you know, yeah you better I remember because I actually saw this in the theater when it first came out. Mm. This sticks in my head. It was the first movie I ever saw by myself. Oh, wow. No friends? No family? Yeah, because I couldn't find anyone to go that particular night. You know, I really mm. wanted to see it. And I think it was my brother's like, well, why don't you just go? And I'm like, uh, it just felt weird. And so I was like, sure, mm-hmm. sure, I'll do it. And I went by myself, saw the movie. And to, to this day, I've regretted doing that because you had no one to talk to afterwards. And there was yeah. so oh, much to talk about with this movie. About. There was so yeah. much to talk about. So I went home. I was sitting there, then I went home and started telling my brothers about it. Of course, it doesn't come off nearly as good when you're retelling it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they're like, yeah, sounds like a really great movie. Oh, Lightning. Yeah, okay, I get that. Yeah, like, no, 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 it's really cool. You mentioned describing this film to someone who's never seen it and trying to make it not sound like a madman made this film. It sounded like I was freaking insane. Yeah, right. (laughs) I'm sure I did. Well, and that's the great thing about Carpenter's films, right? They dance that line of hokiness and exquisite fun at the same time. And this film maybe embodies that more than any other in his repertoire. I mean, it's yeah, it's just, oh, it's it's incredible. I think almost all of those, maybe except for The Thing and a couple others, there's always that little, oh, I don't know what you would call it. Tongue like, in cheek kind yeah, of a little, feel. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. A little yeah, bit of that, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. he's like a little wink at the crowd a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, because he does something that's a little over the top. You know it's purposeful, because nothing this guy does is an accident, right? Right. Like when Thunder explodes at the end of the movie, you know, literally, like it yeah. gets huge and explodes. That was a mm-hmm. weird scene, but it was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? it made sense in this world that Carpenter created, but it does not make sense right. explaining to another rational human being outside of this film, which yep. is what makes it so <laughs> crazy and amazing. 
though. So let's talk about favorite scenes again before we get out of this one. I'll go first this time because uh, it's something about Kurt Russell. Maybe it's a cheat, but there are so many one liners that he gives. Those (laughs) are the highlight of the film for me. And some Mm. of them just illustrate how much he thinks of himself. Like he walks in, everybody relax. I'm I'm here. here. (laughs) (laughs) And he takes off with his buddy and he says something about, all right, you guys hold down the fort. If we're not back in an hour, call the president or something. (laughs) (laughs) You don't realize it's just you and this guy. Nobody else thinks you're awesome. Nobody else is paying attention to you in the world, but he's so important in his brain Mm -hmm. that it's illustrated at the beginning when he's talking on the CB to nobody. Nobody's listening. (laughs) And he's giving this, like he's holding court and telling about himself and his history. Just, yeah, Jack Burton is another. He's like a snake Pliskin right up there. was so beloved. And because it's Kurt Russell. He's so great. he's great. (laughs) What what about you, George? Favorite scene? Can you pick one? Oh, Jesus. Um, So from second one to second hour 36. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) I would have to say probably the hell of the upside down center is one of my favorite (laughs) scenes. So the whole thing, they're in this elevator as they're trying to infiltrate the layer of the evil sorcerer Uh and they get in this elevator and they go down and the elevator stops and it starts filling up with water, right? And in order to escape, they pry open the doors and when they pry open the doors, they end up in this room with chains and dead corpses hanging around everywhere. And it's just so freaky and creepy. Their feet are in the air, but they've been chained underwater and yeah. exactly. screams on their face. Oh, oh yeah. my goodness. So <laughs> creepy. And it ties into the whole Asian mysticism architecture that this film is built on. I, I think that's one of the scenes that just really drives home the point that Jack Burton is a fish out of water, literally and physically and everything else. I mean, he just... Oh, it's brilliant. He shouldn't be there. There's no way he should survive this. And somehow he muddles through. And there's that running gag yeah. of all the different hells that you have. Yeah. Right. He even like, we pokes fun out, like, really, there's a hell for that? No, I'm just messing with you. Yeah. <laughs> it says keep out. Right. What about you, Mo? Favorite scene? I know oh, it's geez. Again, there's so many, but the one that thinks of when they're in the tunnel to infiltrate the Citadel, whatever you want to call it. Oh, they're getting jazzed up? No, but they have to go through the tunnel first. Like okay, that all right, go ahead. The oh, sewer tunnel. You're talking about when they're going back in the second yeah, time. Yeah, to back in the second time. Oh, yeah. Oh, right, gotcha. And yeah, yeah, also, yeah. like, there's, like, this offshoot tunnel. One of the guys looks at it and this monster jumps out, grabs him, and the, the yeah. guy throws like this <laughs> grenade thing. And he says, It will not come out. And then Bird's like, Shin. What? Yeah. And, Shin, and Bird's like, What? What won't come out? What the hell was that? He was like this big bravado guy, but you can see how insecure and how scared he is because that's so right. oh, he just endeared the character to me. Because right. it's like, You will come out how, no more. What? Because that what is what come I out? Would what say. the hell was that? Exactly. That's where yeah. I would react. Like, What? I mean, yeah, we'll come out, but what the hell was it? You know, that was such a great scene. <laughs> Not important. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> oh, man. This is Jack Burton in the Pork Chop Express, and I'm talking to whoever's listening out there. It's a pretty amazing planet we live on here, and a man would have to be some kind of fool to think we're all alone in this universe. Jack Burton's coming to rescue your summer. Hey, what more can a guy ask for? 20th Century Fox presents Kurt Russell in John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China. It's all in the reflexes. What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On PressBox Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on PressBox Access. All right, gentlemen, time to jump to 1988 to one of my all-time favorite John Carpenter films, They Live. (laughs) This film, 
holds a special place in my heart for so many reasons, not to mention the cast, of course, was one of the Again, my favorite parts about this film. Kind of ridiculous, but kind of awesome. Mm-hmm. So let's go ahead and get the synopsis of this film out of the way. 1988, they influence our decisions without us knowing it. They numb our senses without us feeling it. They control our lives without us realizing it. They live. Yeah, they do. Yeah. <laughs> if you just read that, you're like, what the hell is that? You might watch the first two minutes out of curiosity, and that's all you need. You watch the first two minutes of that film, you're hooked. I'm telling you, that film Man. is awesome. The cast in this film is incredible. First off, the star of this film, one of the few films that he actually did, he did several, but none of them were terribly successful. This was his most popular film of all time. Rowdy yeah. Roddy Piper. What a casting The wrestling choice. icon himself. Oh no, my no, God. Wrestling. Not wrestling. No, no, no. He Rass- was a wrestler. He was not in the wrestling company. The oh, okay. wrestling company right. is in the South. He was from WWE in the North. Yeah. He was a wrestler. Oh, okay. All right, I will defer to your wrestling knowledge, okay? <laughs> I mean, and don't forget, he actually started wrestling when he was 15. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, this guy, he's an incredible character and human being himself. It's a great thing. I would love to talk about him someday on the podcast, but uh, I'll go on to the rest of the cast. Keith David, <laughs> who we talked about from They Live. Yeah, another one from the John Carpenter repertory squad. Exactly. Right? Yep. <laughs> yep. And the thing. Or yeah. Not from the They the Live, thing. the thing. I'm just focused yep. on They Live right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> and probably the actress with maybe the most iconic eyes in all of sci-fi horror history, Meg Foster. Mm-hmm. She had oh, yeah. the craziest eye they were color. Weird color, weren't they? It yeah. was like a Look weird right ice blue green kind of. Oh my god, it was freaky, and it was perfect for this kind of storyline. I thought, yeah, absolutely. I don't know about you guys. I've got so many memories from this film. Well, let we start by. Why don't you lay some trivia on us? You've gathered some trivia for these cool <laughs> I, films. I Let's did. start there. Uh, so, what's the most iconic line from this film? Oh, oh, no, I'm here to chew bubble gum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Right. (laughs) So according to John Carpenter, Roddy Piper is the man who wrote that line because he had used it in other situations from his wrestling background. Oh, Oh, really? Nice. (laughs) And it is. It's the, I think it's got to be the most iconic line in the entire film. And we talk about quotable things from Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. And The Thing and Escape from New York. This film, that's the line. You say that line, everybody's heard it, even if they don't know what film it's from. Yeah. You know, this film isn't littered with lots of different quotable lines. It's much more action driven. I mean, there's plenty of good stuff in it. Don't get me wrong. But it's not full of those quips. No. And the quips that they're there, Roddy Piper delivers them all. And they're gems. That's right. Lady, that's like putting perfume on a pig. And I think it's ironic that this is basically a buddy film, right? So they're they're both like these construction worker, day laborer guys. Roddy Piper just comes into town, then he's got his buddy, Keith David there, whoever his character name was. But initially, they're tentative friends, hesitant friends. And then when they finally get together, this has got to be, did this film like win an award for the longest one-on-one street alley fight ever on film? I would say one of the best. I know MTV gave it a best fight award Man, or something. It's not just a fist fight. They beat the living hell out of each other for oh, like yeah. 20 it was like minutes. A wrestling match. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it was a wrestling match. Yeah. And it I, was great. when I watch it, I don't see stunt people in there. Like those guys appear to be doing the stuff. It looked like it. I don't know if they did. Piper definitely choreographed a lot of that scene, although yeah, he wasn't sense. listed as the stunt coordinator for the film. But yep. I know I've seen interviews with him since then, and he and Keith David worked together really closely on that film. I mean, it yeah. was iconic. When you have an athlete of his caliber, you take what he knows and you use mm-hmm. it. I mean, yeah. Carpenter would have been dumb not to. So that may only make sense. Oh, man. And the suplex in that alley fight? <laughs> yeah. this day, I'm like, <laughs> on the asphalt. I think actually the theater I saw, we were cheering because that's what we're, we're waiting for that. Because that's what, you know, we're like, Ronnie <laughs> Piper, he's fighting. He's got to do that. Come on. And Carpenter tried to talk him out of doing the stunts in that scene. And he said, "The hell with that shit. If yeah. you're not going to not have me do that, what are you paying me for? Because I can't act. <laughs> and so he just wanted to do all the stunts in the movie. <laughs> and, you know, it's surprising he didn't do more, George, because this is the only film I've ever seen with Roddy Piper mm-hmm. in it. And he's fine. He's very much like a young Dwayne Johnson here. Remember, Dwayne Johnson wasn't a great actor when he first started doing films. Sure. No. But he developed chops. Roddy Piper, given the right roles in the 80s, I think he could have become the 90s megastar like the rock is today only if, if he had gotten the chance really but he didn't he never did really you know when i first rented this film i only rented it because of roddy piper oh, that was the yeah. only reason why i wanted just to see the film. he was a wrestler and you want to see and him. it turned out to be even crazier but 
Roddy Piper and, you know, you make the connection to Dwayne Johnson. Dwayne Johnson has said in a couple of different interviews that if it were not for people like Roddy Piper going into films before him, he would have never been afforded the opportunities that made him right. the super megastar that he is now. So I think it was not that he didn't want to do films. People just didn't believe wrestlers could act because you got to remember Which this is, is still do, in the really you think about it. Well, right. <laughs> we know that now, but this is in the era of KFAB where people were still not sure if mm-hmm. wrestling was pre-planned and people weren't sure if the guys really hated each other or not because they were such good actors on the fly <laughs> in the ring on the microphone that they it could was make improv. anyone believe it. Oh, yeah. 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 Here's your motivation. Get out there, do something. And they're acting under duress. They're being athletes. They're exhausted and maintaining a character. And so clearly Piper had Oh, those. yeah. He's from that old school of wrestlers who they were never given a script to read. They were just said you know, make this point and make this point, you figure out the other three and a half minutes. And that's it. And <laughs> yeah. So it's all ad lib and improv, like you're saying. It was just, it's crazy. Yeah, a, a pivotal one and a great one to pick for the last one we choose in this section. And before we get out of They Live, you said before we could talk another 45 oh, minutes about easily. any one of these mm-hmm. films easily. Let's hit on our favorite scenes. Mo, what do you got? What are your favorite scene from They Live that you remember? I, I just love when he first gets the sunglasses that lets him see reality. <laughs> right. Because mm-hmm. this yep. movie also had a lot of social commentary in it, right? Yes. It was very two-class society and all that stuff. Right, of course. And then you kind of see like, when he finally gets it, like the guy's putting money out of his wallet and it says on there, this is your god. Yeah, on the money. And the right. billboards all say, consume, yeah. Yeah. buy, Reproduce, don't think, all those don't things. Think, yeah. yeah, basically they're just manipulating people, which honestly, I think if this movie was remade today, it would totally still fit. I think they, oh, could, absolutely. Do a, they sure. could do a version of this yeah, today yeah, sure. that would still I think resonate really well with people. And I would watch it, but I would cry if they did it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah. The irony of it is they never explain what's going on. You, you, it implies that you'll know later after the film, after the conclusion, but you don't know where they came from. Who's the good? Are we the bad guys? You don't know. You're really unsure. They just let you yeah. you roll with it, just like Roddy yeah. Piper does. You don't know. You know. One of the funny things about this movie is that, you know, the main character has no name. What was Roddy well, Piper's name? Well, he does. But, nobody, he does. but they never talk, call him that, it's, though, right? They don't spoken. call him that yeah. in the film, but he's, and it's weird because he's credited in the film as Nada, but then yeah. there are other scripts that have been released where his name is John Nada. Yeah. So like, well, Nada meaning nothing, right? Meaning nothing, no, right. Spanish. Because so. he's nothing. <laughs> no he's name. nobody. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. But cool. So John, what was yours? I think my favorite scene is kind of spread out a little bit, but it's the entire interaction he has with Meg Foster's character. Like at first he kind of abducts her mm. and then they have this dialogue in her apartment where he wants her to try the glasses and she has this great line where she says, I'll look, but no matter what I see, I'm going to say I see what you said I should see. Right. right. <laughs> so how do you know I'm telling the truth? She defends herself, shoves him out the window. He goes rolling down the hill. And when they meet back up again, the line that I love is she sees him and goes, I thought I killed you. And his response is, so did I. <laughs> like, yeah, you beat my ass and threw me out the window like five stories and down a hill. I just it's that dialogue and that back and forth with her that it's kind of stretched out through the relationship. But that's it's kind of a cheat. It's multiple scenes but together i no, like I that it. interaction yeah, yeah 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 for sure what about you george favorite scene oh i i think it's got to be the ending scene honestly and i think what part of the ending so there's there's an ending when roddy piper finally he makes it up to the roof of the television studio building he right. finally blows the oh to the stop the signal. device right. that stops right, yeah. the signal and so all the aliens are being revealed to us you know they start showing them in different scenes where people like there's an alien sitting in a bar and people are looking at him like you know what the hell? Where you know? Yeah, and there's you come newscasters from? and stuff. Real quickly, that's the first time you see the aliens in color. It is. Oh yes, it's true. Yes, they're it's all right. black and white because you see them through glasses until yeah. then, and finally you see them in color. That was kind of yeah. Shocking. Because even when they yeah. get their color contacts later on, you never that's see right. anything through their eyes. Right. right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Good point. Good point. Yeah. So there's the ending scene where it goes to a hotel room and there's a beautiful oh, blonde okay. woman. <laughs> oh, right. And she's yeah. having sex with somebody. And so you're just looking at her. She's on top and, you know, she's nude from the waist up and everything. And she looks back over at the TV and it's the newscasters being revealed. And they're, and then yeah. she looks down at the guy and he's one of the aliens <laughs> and she freaks out and stops. And he goes, Hey babe, what's the matter? End scene. <laughs> That's the end of the movie. And, and I love credits. That. That's yep. it. <laughs> yeah. That was what I was implying 
implying that it's at that point that they're going to start finding out what the hell's going on, but we don't get to see any of that. So it's left wide open. Mm. Yeah, you never know what happens. I'm actually surprised they did not make a sequel, actually. Well, it seemed like it it wasn't terribly successful in the the theaters. It it was one of those cult classics that caught on in VHS rentals. And, you know, those films didn't often get remakes or sequels, even though they became successful in the VHS market. They just. Yeah, that's a modern thing. Yeah. Oh, man. (laughs) What's the matter, babe? (laughs) What's the matter? The world just blew up. So what's the matter? (laughs) You've got purple and pink spots all over you and weird glass bug eyes. What the hell? What do these things want, and why are they here? You still don't get it, do you, boy? They have recruited the rich and the powerful. They're running the whole show. Wake up! They're all about you, all around you. Blinded us to the truth! Take a look. They are safe, as long as they are not discovered. I don't know what they are, or where they came from, but we gotta stop them. Stay away from me. Put these on. They have us. Look at them, they're everywhere! If there was anything in this show you'd like to learn more about, the show notes which accompany each episode are full of links to click and explore. Catch up on past episodes and get pinged every time a new one's released by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. And you know, iTunes reviews help more than you know, so if you haven't yet, please rate and review us in the iTunes app. And if you have a friend who isn't yet listening, why not? Tell them about us, they'll thank you later. You're our fourth listener, and we'd love to read your emails right here on the show, so hit us up at podcast at genxgrownup.com. And finally, Gen X Grown Up is more than just this podcast. Our YouTube channel has hundreds of videos ready for you to enjoy. Plus, you can find our entire body of work on genxgrownup.com. This has been a blast looking back on these oh, Carpenter yeah. films. And there's so many we missed. Again. I know they're probably favorites of many of our listeners. You'll let us know when you hit us up uh, on our email. Before we get out of this show, I absolutely always like to take just a second here to give our gratitude to the folks that support us financially, allow us to keep doing what we do here on the podcast over on YouTube and on the website. This is folks that give a few bucks every single month through Patreon. And I want to thank each of you. <gasps> Adam, Agile, Thomas, Ben, Slow Mo, Shelby, Chewbacca, Butterspider, Levi, Travis, T2, Matt, Dana, Jason, C, and Mike C, Greg, L, Dan, Davis, Mark, Lee, Greg, Z, David, Tony, Arlen, Blaster, Stasha, Chad, Marcus, Chet, Jonathan, H, Sean, and Stu Monkey, who just arbitrarily upped his contribution from $5 to $7.50 every month just because he wanted to say, hey, thank you so much to each and every one of you. You're amazing in our eyes. If you'd like to join this roster, George, would you let the fourth listeners know how they can get that done? Absolutely, sir. We've got two ways for you to get there. All you got to do is go to patreon.com slash genxgrownup or genxgrownup.com slash patreon because we want to make it easy on you in case you had a short-term memory <laughs> like us when you get over there all you do is you take that free account create that thing then you go over to the non-free section decide how much you would like to contribute to us mm-hmm. per month one dollar we love you you love us two dollars we love each other double as much three dollars get you into all the behind the scenes stuff five dollars get you into that genxgrownup swag and we have even instituted a new method of support we've recently come to a 10,000 subscriber member level in YouTube mm-hmm. and Yay. that afforded us the ability to add a little button called join and you become a YouTube member with that button it's $2.99 per month right now and you get all these cool YouTube options you get these custom uh, like little emoji graphic yep. things that you can have the on your name by your name that shows you're a member so much cool shows stuff. you how yep. long everything it's really fun it's a lot of awesome that's all I and can people say have really been enjoying it so awesome <laughs> well said George absolutely we thank you again for your support every single one of you. We know it's tough times too, and it means even doubly as much. That is going to wrap it up for this backtrack edition of the show. We'll be back in two weeks with another one, but next week with a regular entry in our show. Until then, I am John. George, thank you so much for being here. Yes, sir. Mo, you know I appreciate you, buddy. Oh, man, always fun. Fourth listener, it's you we appreciate most of all, though, and we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. See you guys. Take care, everybody. JetX Grown Up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. You don't want to miss this one, January 21st. Hope you'll hear it. Hope you'll hear it. The fuck was that? <laughs> What's that? Mean? Hope you'll hear it. I like English What's talking. What's the matter, babe? <laughs> What's the matter, babe? Uh, 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 I'll do it one more time. <laughs> Shit, three, two. Don't miss it. Much better. <laughs> Fucking. I hope you hear the word and talking. All right. <laughs>
Well, hey, podcast listener. My name is Vince, and I'm the host of a show called The RR Show. It stands for Reddit Readings. We're going to sit down twice a week, and I'm going to bring you the most entertaining stories from all of the best subreddits that exist online. Things like malicious compliance, petty revenge, hey, lady, I don't work here. Oh, there's so much more. Lots of great stories and things you won't believe. Like the one time uh, this dude was caught in a bathroom with his friend, and he was slapping them because that was the only way that he could actually legitimately help them. A mall cop comes in with a taser. Oh, yeah, the rest is history. It's going to be fun. There is, uh, well, I don't know, I got like 20 seconds left, so I don't got much more time to tell you another story. But just join me on The RR Show. It's from Evergreen Podcast, produced in partnership with Wessler Media. So The RR Show. Wherever you get podcasts, subscribe today, and uh, it's like an adult story time. Let's hang out together. The RR Show. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts.